What I'd like to talk to you about today is water. Water features prominently in all three of the readings today. So you have water into blood, you had frogs coming out of the Nile, you had Pharaoh being fished out of the Nile, and then you had John baptizing. So we got water in all three readings. I was thinking about actually talking about this next week when we split the Red Sea because we got even more water next time, but I'll do it today. In today's readings, water in every case is a symbol of death. Water into blood, very obvious. The Egyptians had thrown the Hebrew babies into the Nile, and the Nile was covering up the crime. The little corpses were becoming crocodile chowder, floating out to the Mediterranean or whatever. So there was no evidence. So the water into blood is by way of saying that you guys have taken the Nile River, which is a source of life for you all, and have turned it into an instrument of death. And then baptism, which was in the John reading, is also a symbol of death. What happens in baptism is you go down into the water, which is to say you drown, or you go to death, and then you come up on the far side and you are born again. And for those of you who have been involved in childbirth, either in the active part of it or in the supervising part of it, I was a supervisor, she did all the work, you know that one of the things that happens is a baby grows in a water sack. And when the baby is born, you have a flush of water so water comes out along with or just before the baby comes out. So again, the idea of baptism is you are returning to the waters and then you come back up and you're born again. So that's the metaphor, if you will, of baptism. In that case, water is a symbol of chaos. The child starts off as nothing and order comes to the chaos as the mother constructs a baby from the information she's given. Water's kind of interesting stuff. It's one of, I believe, five substances. The other four are of no interest whatsoever because they're all metals of one kind or another. But it's one of five substances that when it freezes, it expands. Everything else, as it gets colder, contracts. The exception is water and silicone and gallium and, you know, we don't care about those. Water we do care about. And the reason that that's important is if water didn't do that, there would be no life on Earth. Because if water behaved like everything else and contracted as it froze, what would happen is as water froze, it would sink to the bottom of the lake or the bottom of the sea. And then you would have this layer of liquid water on top which would insulate the ice down on the bottom, which would never thaw. So in order to have life, which comes out of water, water has to have those properties. If it doesn't, there's no life on Earth. So let's talk about some of the symbols of water in Scripture. First off, water doesn't have any shape. It conforms to whatever container you put it in. And if you don't put it in a container, it just goes out and sinks in or evaporates. So water is shapeless, and that's a symbol of chaos. And you remember in Genesis 1, when God is bringing the world as we know it into 
existence, he brings it out of the water. Remember, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. So in that sense, it's virtually the same symbols as birth. Because you have a child who comes out of the water inside the mother's womb. You have the world, if you will, that comes out of the water. So what God does when he speaks over the water is he imposes order or information on chaos, which is what makes something happen. The woman does the same thing. She takes the stuff from the world, if you will, water, food, etc., and she imposes order on all that unformed stuff, and you come forth with a child. So it's the same metaphor. And in fact, if you go through Genesis 1, it perfectly mimics the process of human birth. It's a symbol of life. Wells in Scripture are places where men and women come together. And contrary to popular opinion, if men and women don't come together, we have no life. So when Eleazar gets sent to get a bride for Isaac, where does he meet Rebecca? At a well. And he says that the young woman who draws water for me and my camels, she's going to be the one. Jacob, when he's fleeing from his brother, where does he meet Rachel? At a well. And in fact, we've done this before, but I will do it briefly. How many flocks of sheep do you have at the well? Three. And what I will suggest to you is that those three flocks represent all of humanity. And what Jacob represents in that case is the spirit. He comes to the well, and what does he do? He unstops it and brings forth water to the sheep. Shepherds aren't going to do it. They're waiting until everybody shows up, and they're not going to do it. So he sees this good-looking babe and flips the rock off by himself. It's a rock that is theoretically heavy enough that it takes a crew of shepherds to remove it. He flips it off, waters the sheep, and kisses his cousin. Then we have Moses. What does Moses' name mean? Drawn from the water. And where do you suppose he meets his bride? At a well. Remember when he's fleeing from Pharaoh and he runs to the land of Midian and again he sees this good-looking shepherd, gal, and the other shepherds are sort of keeping him away from the well. He runs off the other shepherds and draws water for her sheep. So you have this sort of consistent pattern. And oh, by the way, where does Yeshua talk to a Samaritan woman? At a well. So that story is consistent throughout Scripture. Wells are a symbol of life. That's where men and women come together. That's then a source of life. They're also a source of death, water. And we talked about water into blood for the Nile. We talked about baptism. God uses the flood, water, to flatten the place so we can start over. We have Ezekiel. And what does Ezekiel do when he gets upset with Ahab? He says, there will be no rain or dew until I say so. And he turns off the water for three and a half years. I haven't looked this up recently. One of the things I am is a water engineer. And people wonder what the most devastating weather pattern is to humanity. And you think of hurricanes and tornadoes and 
windstorms that cause fires. No, it's drought. When the water gets turned off, that's when populations start to move and migrate. You find all over the world abandoned places where people used to live, and then the climate changed and there came a drought, and people just picked up and moved. It's the most deadly weather pattern there is historically. And then water also represents rebirth. We talked about baptism just now. And it's interesting. Yeshua is talking to Nicodemus, who is a rabbi, and he says to him, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus looks at him and says, what are you talking about? Shall I re-enter my mother's womb and we start over? And one of the things that Yeshua does is he looks at him and he says, you, a teacher of Israel, don't understand what I just said? In other words, he rebukes him. And the reason he rebukes him is because of what I just talked about with baptism. The metaphor there is well known to Hebrews. This is not a Christian thing. Women go through it every month. Their body has lost the ability to pass life on temporarily. And so they go through this process of rebirth. And in fact, one of the things that a mikvah witness in the Jewish community will say is anybody comes up out of the mikvah, born again. So being born again is not a Christian thing. It is a biblical thing going all the way back. And the last thing that water represents is the spirit. And Yeshua is the one that makes that abundantly clear. John 7.37 On the last day of the feast, the great day, Yeshua stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. So water represents chaos, life, death, rebirth, and the Spirit. So it's a very fluid symbol. <clears throat> Sorry. So, what I want to talk to you about is us. Not us here, but us, community and nation. As you know, we send money to Bethel in Israel. Lots of us have been to Bethel, spent a couple, three weeks with them. We know them, we trust them. They're good folks. So the place where we send the money we set aside to Israel is Bethel. And I usually write them a handwritten note saying thank you very much for doing this for us. And so he then sends me his thank you email back, which I then forward to everybody. You've seen those. So when I wrote him this time, and this was earlier this week, before all of the hoofra started with the winds and the fires and everything, and I said to Joachim, we are experiencing a drought. We have not had rain or snow this fall. We are very dry. And I regard this as an absence of the spirit. What's happening in the physical world, drought and dry, indicates that in us, the community, the nation, we are parched and dry because we don't have the spirit. And what I asked is if he would talk to Bethel and ask him to pray for us. Now, the letter just went in the mail yesterday. He doesn't have it yet. 
But I very much expect that we'll get a nice warm reply back from him and he will say that, yes, they are praying for us. The reason I say that is I'm going to go to Jeremiah, and I'm in Jeremiah 2. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. So the idea is they have left Jehovah and they have picked up something that's not profitable. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So there's two things that have happened here. One, they have forsaken the source of living water, God. And the second thing they have done is by their own efforts, what they have tried to do is make something to replace God so that they don't have to pay attention to God. We will do our own thing. And the metaphor there is they have hewn out cisterns, and those cisterns do not hold water. They look like they should hold water. You pour water into them, but the water gradually leaks out and goes away. So what it's talking about is first abandonment of Jehovah, but then it's talking about human effort to make something as a substitute. And I will suggest that's where we are. Not you. We, community and nation. We have abandoned the source of living water. And what we've tried to do is we have tried to make our own thing, if you will. And we have instead hewn out cisterns that are leaky. And what we're seeing, I'm convinced, is physical drought as a metaphor for spiritual drought. And the only solution that I see, of course, is repentance and getting rid of these leaky cisterns and turning back to God. Because until you do turn back to the source of living water, you will eventually die of thirst. One of the things I said is the deadliest weather pattern is drought. So we are in a metaphorical drought. Praise God for the snow. Because Colorado has been in a literal drought. And you've all seen the results of that as wildfire goes through the community. One of the things that God promises is that for those who believe in him, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. I just read that to you. And the idea is that's the spirit. So those of us who have the spirit have an obligation to let those rivers of water flow into the community. And that's by testimony. It's by doing good works, all sorts of things. But the idea that you are a bearer of life is extremely important. And that's what having a river of living water is a metaphor for. You are a bearer of life. You can carry life and you can transmit it all. For those of you who have been through the Torah 36 times, one of the things that you know is both life and death are communicable. When we go through Leviticus, everybody's most favorite part is bodily discharges. whole section of Leviticus about bodily discharges. 
the point there is when you have entered the realm of death, and it's very important to understand that entering the realm of death does not mean being sinful. Those are two different things. Because periodically everybody, because you live in the world, enters the realm of death. And, of course, the example would be if your cousin died and you had to take care of the body, you have temporarily entered the realm of death. You have not sinned. You have not done anything wrong. In fact, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Similarly, a healthy woman in her cycle enters the realm of death once a month. It just, that's the way it is. It's not sinful at all. But the point is, in Leviticus, it's very clear that when you are in the realm of death, you can't come into the temple temporarily. And you shouldn't touch priests during that time because you can communicate this death, if you will, to them. Well, the flip side of that is if you have the spirit, you can communicate life. Life is every bit as communicable as death. And unless you are unavoidably in the realm of death, and and as I say, there's no sin there whatsoever, when you have this spirit of life in you, you are communicable. You're contagious, if you will. And you want to go through life as if you are contagious, and what you have with you is this spirit of life that is contagious to people who need it. And by the way, this goes all over Scripture. So Zechariah, on that day living waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The waters were flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. And 47.6, And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And he led me back to the brink of the river. As I went back, I saw on the brink of the river very many trees on the one side and the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah and enters the sea. Where the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swims will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, and the waters of the sea may become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. And then finally in Revelation, all these are the same metaphor. This is not a New Testament thing. This is Tanakh everywhere. So in Revelation uh, 21.6, he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then Revelation 22. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Remember, the water comes out from the temple, out from the tabernacle, out from the holy place. Same metaphor flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, 
yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So this idea of water carrying life, carrying the spirit, water flowing from you, the metaphor is always consistent. Okay? It always means the same thing. And as I say, water can be a symbol of death, as we saw today, but it's also a symbol of life. And I'll close with Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So again, this metaphor of wanting to drink of the waters of the Lord, it's all over Scripture. And you, who have the Spirit and have the knowledge, have water flowing from you, and the life that is in you is communicable to a world who is suffering drought right now.